the Bain Free Radio Hour. On the podcast, corn don't grow too well on rocky top, grounds too rocky by far. Also, there's no air on rocky top because it's an asteroid circling a star. Iron domes and chimera lust, plus the latest entry in our complete audiobook serialization of Larry Correa's Hard Magic. All right now. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour podcast. It's an honor to have you along. I'm Bain editor Tony Daniel. This time we have part two of our wonderful roundtable discussion and loot pulling with the Masters of Filk, Filk being both the music and the community of musicians who play and sing songs that are tributes, satires, and heartfelt homages to fantasy and science fiction themes. Once again, Filker extraordinaire himself, Gray Reinhardt, leads the discussion with Masters of Filk, Jeff Bonoff, Bill and Brenda Sutton, Carla Ulbrich, and Rob Wynn. And we continue with our complete audiobook serialization of Larry Correa's Hard Magic, as read by Bronson Pinchot. Now here's the news. There's a couple of excellent pieces on the Bain.com website this month. Our fiction is a wonderfully tongue-in-cheek story from Sharon Lee and Steve Miller that takes place on the planet of Sherbleek, the setting that they also have in their new Leaden Universe novel that's out next month. That novel is called Dragon in Exile. Also on the Bane.com front page is a totally fascinating nonfiction piece all about the futuristic military implications of Israel's Iron Dome missile defense system. The article is written by Engineer and Army Guard Lieutenant Colonel Alan Isom, who has served in leadership positions taking care of the air and missile defense of Washington, D.C. Alan's really done his research, and he's a guy who absolutely knows what he's talking about. Chimera by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller and Using Missile Defense Against Terrorist Attacks by Alan Isom are available for the next month at Bain.com and available long-term in the Bain Free Short Stories and Free Nonfiction Ebook Collections of 2015. You can get those at BainEbooks.com. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour podcast. We're glad you're here with us. I'm contributing editor Gray Reinhardt. In this podcast, we continue a discussion about Filk, the music of science fiction and fantasy fandom, and the community that it represents. We feature Jeff Bonhoff, Brenda and Bill Sutton, Carla Ulbrich, and Rob Wynn. We also continue with our complete audiobook serialization of Larry Correa's Hard Magic, as read by Bronson Pinchot. In the first half of our discussion, we talked about what Filk is. Okay, we're back and we're going to welcome again, but not introduce everybody who was on the podcast last time, and that's Jeff Bonhoff, Brenda and Bill Sutton, Carla Ulbrich, and Rob Wynn. And I'm really glad that you guys could be with us today. Now, when we are recording this, some of you just got back from Filk, Ontario, a Filk convention up in Canada. Would any of you like to tell us a little bit about how that went? Bill and I were the first guest of honor at the very first Filk, Ontario, 25 years ago. And so they had a big celebration. They added an extra day onto their convention, and they decided to ask us to come back and be their 25th guests of honor as well, which was a big honor for us. And they invited a lot more people to the convention. It's, it's a very special convention for the silk community because it's where people are inducted into the Silk Hall of Fame. And it's a, a nominating process with a judged board that selects the individuals. And it's always a big event there. And it's a very wonderful place for Silkers to go. They've got a great stage, great audience, 
they have a big auction for the folk. They do concerts back to back and lots of workshops. And uh, we we got to really get a good dose of what it was like to be in a Canadian environment as well. So it was a blast. Yeah, Folk Ontario has a lot of um, specific things to them. One, they have a, a someone might consider unhealthy obsession with penguins. Uh, but that leads to a lot of penguin jokes and penguin puns and penguin things going on. Like most of the Philka ditches, there are so many of them, you would think people would be tired of it. But because they happen in such different regions of North America and the world, there are people who don't get to go anyplace else. And you only see them when you get to go to their home convention or the place where where they actually live and they can actually go play music or or be there to participate in the community. We always look forward to going different places, and Silk Ontario was was fantastic. They they always take care of everybody that's there. They really had a blowout this year because it was their 25th anniversary, and they had a huge hospitality suite. They had all kinds of things going on for the attendees. It was an extra day longer, so we were even more exhausted coming home on Monday than we normally would be from a Silk Con. It was a grand time. Well, my experience with Filk has been at various conventions in the Southeast, like DragonCon and, and Worldcon last year. But I have never been to a Filk convention, and I think probably most of our listeners are more familiar with general science fiction and fantasy conventions than with Filk conventions. So what might we expect from attending a Filk convention as opposed to a general genre convention? Well, Filk is what we would call a subgenre convention. Uh, for many years, you've had the pieces of what we would call a general SF con sort of splitting up. I Recently, I've been rereading Gordon Dixon's Child Cycle and thinking that perhaps this is part of our uh, Spanish diaspora and we'll all come back together as new fan and create this whole new thing. But the, you have costuming conventions, of course, and, and there's always been uh, comic conventions and anime conventions, movie conventions, and Silk is, is something like that. The very first Silk conventions, nobody even really thought that they were going to be a regular basis. There was a Con East and a Con West, and the, the dates escape me. I want to say it was 1979 or 1980, perhaps that those took place. And people thought, oh, well, this is really nice uh, to have these. And pretty soon uh, you had uh, some people in California who decided they wanted to have it, and it grew from there. The best way to describe it is that the weekend is really very specifically focused on the music. Beyond that, each convention has its own different flavor. Some conventions are very focused on getting everyone together in as much time as possible to play music in circles and to share music with one another. Uh, Gefilk is the main one that has that focus. Uh, some other ones are so large. Uh, Ohio Valley Filk Fest, OVFF, which is in October, is what we consider the world con of Filk. And pretty much everybody goes there. That's where the Pegasus Awards are given out. So it pretty much out of necessity, focuses on lots and lots of concerts because so many people are coming that folks have never heard or haven't heard in a long time. They're very concert-heavy, and they also have a concert where every one of the songs that has been nominated for a Pegasus Award that year gets performed live so that people have the opportunity to hear the song. Oh, this is Rob. I'll pick that up. Uh... You know, each convention, like every convention, has its own, you know, culture and its own sort of preferences. So, you know, we can generally say if you go to a BuiltCon, what you can expect is that all of the programming will be somehow related to Silk. That could be anything from concerts to open folking to workshops. You know, sometimes we'll have somebody like Jeff Bonoff here will sit down and like, here, let me teach you some cool guitar tricks for an hour, and everybody you know, goes home with a little more skill than they had before, which is always cool. Sometimes there will be jam sessions. 
you know, where it's really just, okay, everybody, we're going to play this and jump in if you know it or, you know, you know, throw something in and everybody just sort of comes together as an impromptu jam. So those are the kinds of things that you'll see. But every convention sort of reflects its own organizing committee's idea of what a great Con would be. As I said to uh, somebody on Facebook earlier this week, you know, at Gazelle, we kind of put on the kind of convention we most want to attend, and we really, really hope that 125, 130 other people want to attend it also so we can keep doing it. Yeah, Gazelle is different from the other conventions in that we call ourselves a relaxed con, so very little programming other than the concerts for the guests of honor and everything else is going into the rooms and singing together. So the other conventions have such serious programming going on from 10 o'clock in the morning until way into the evening uh, that you're really kind of torn as to which part of it you're going to go because you're going to miss something really, really great. They'll usually have something called either a one-shot or a two-by-ten list. So one-shot, you get one song. Two-by-ten, you get two songs or ten minutes, whichever one comes first, so that if you're not one of the concert performers, uh, you still have an opportunity to get up on the stage and do your stuff. Uh, it just depends on whether you want to do that or not. And then they'll have songwriting contests where they'll pick a theme and everyone will try and write a song in a day or bring a song that's appropriate to that contest particular theme. And a lot of great materials come out of those songwriting contests, a lot. So mm -hmm. it depends on you know, some of the conventions really put an emphasis on everybody singing together from the same songbook. So you're all sitting in the thing and you're singing together. Others want to do what they call the bardic circle. That's where everybody gets into a big circle, and one at a time, you take your turn, and it comes around to you. You either pick, pass, or play. goes on to the next person until you get around the circle. Depending on the size of the circle, that can take 10 minutes or it can take two hours. And then you've got um, what we think of here in the Midwest as Midwestern chaos, where you've got something to sing, you just jump in and sing it. And somebody might have and play what they call their followers. Um, so it's just different sorts of flavors. And make sure that we're, you know, drawing them in and, and guiding them into the community so that they feel that they're welcome and that they can be a part of our reindeer games. You go over to England and you find a lot of electronic music that you won't find on this side so much. And you'll find a lot of silk choirs. We have, there's a whole, the nearly music consort is like mm -hmm. 12 people with that, you know, they practice with regular sheet music and they have a conductor and a small orchestra. And, uh, so you'll find that there. It's a, it's a little different everywhere sure. you go. Up in the Northeast in New England, for a long time, there was a tradition of hymnal singing where everybody had the same book and they would all pick a song to sing together. Um, I don't know if they're continuing that as much. Uh, Lois Mangan, who passed away several years ago, was a big proponent of that style, and she kept it alive in New England for the longest time. But that's another way it's, you can sort of organize a folk ring. There are also a lot of conventions that, even though they're not specifically silk cons, are cons we have designated as silk friendly. And one of them is FedCon down in Texas. Probably one of the most friendly conventions I've ever gone to. And they do this thing called a, it's almost like tag team wrestling. So they, they bring all their guests and their performers up, and somebody like Carla runs up and does a song, and then somebody comes behind her and tags her, and they jump in and do another song, and it just builds and builds and builds. It's fantastic. Gosh, I remember that at the very first VenCon. It was uh, Bill and Michael Loncor and Carla and Maya and I. And yeah, that was. A lot of fun. <laughs> so there's a few general science fiction conventions that have really, really strong filk presence, usually because there's a filker in that area who said, I want to be on your time and I want to make music programming happen here. A couple of other ones that I'll sort of just throw out as good exemplars, uh, Confluence in Pittsburgh, which Randy Hoffman runs a great music track for every year. Oricon in Portland, Oregon, Andrew Ross and uh, Dan Reitman but really, really make sure that filkers are given a prominent place to do their thing at Oricon. So there are general conventions that are strong in filk while still being general conventions. And that's a great place to go if you want to kind of get your toe wet, but 
you're not sure you want to commit to just token growing. Well, I found that DragonCon is very felt friendly. They, they're very welcoming to me. But right now, I'd, I'd like for us to actually listen to a song that was recorded at a Filk convention. Bill sent in a copy of Vor, uh, which was recorded live at Conflict in Seattle in January 2012. And I think some of our listeners would understand from the title what this song is about. Bill, if you're back on the line, would you like to tell our listeners about this song? This is one that took me a few years to write because Phil tends to, we, we've tended to go away in the Phil community from actually retelling people's stories, not just because that's rather as polite to the authors who spent so much time crafting their way of saying it, but also because that's already been told. We're trying to add to it or, or do something different with it. So I wanted to write something in uh, Lois McMaster Bajol's universe that was more than just telling part of one of the characters' stories. And this song is aimed at just sort of getting the essence and the legacy that the Vore class believes that they are living for. It was recorded at Conflict when we had the opportunity to put together a band consisting of some of the really top musicians out there in Washington who happened to be out there with us and some other guests at that convention, and we just had a really good time recording it. So it's going to be on our next album for obvious reasons. Excellent. Well, we'll take a listen. Jesus alive. 
together alone against people and planet each generation encompassing more Kosigan, Swasan, Tashpula, Ambara where would we be now if not for the Our mothers provide more is the honor we share with our brothers. More is the duty that keeps us alive. More is the name that we want from our fathers. More is the love that our mothers provide. All right, well, thanks for that, Bill. And maybe you could take a stab at the next question, and other folks can be thinking about it while you're answering. And that is, for any of our listeners who are interested in getting involved in Filk, we've talked a little bit about how they can listen for the music and walk down the hallway and try to find out where the music's coming from. And we've talked a little bit about some general science fiction and fantasy conventions that are filk friendly and some of the filk specific conventions that are out there but for folks who are wanting to get involved what would you recommend they do well if you go to conventions and i would include under that definition really more the traditional conventions uh, because they don't tend to have them at the large comic cons and things Again, if you're walking around and you hear it, if you see it in the program book, uh, in the last 15 years, conventions have been much more active at helping to uh, show where the filk is. Before, we kind of had to find a place, and then we'd be thrown out, and we'd have to find somewhere else, so it was a little obscure. But right now, it's it's easier to find if you're at the convention. If you're not at the convention, you can actually get onto YouTube and look for filk. And there will be some examples of it on there, like anything else on YouTube. Some will be better than others. You can go to some of the publishers and see what you can find. You can look up the names of every person that's currently on this podcast and find our material. We'd love to have you listen to it. And there will be references that point to other places. Uh, Like anything else in fandom, there's not really quite so much organization of it. We don't have a radio station that plays it that you can listen to. For a long time, we had an Internet radio station that did that, but that Internet radio has sort of gone out of fashion as such, except for special interests. I think that Pandora has built that you can look up. Some of the other services like Spotify uh, have Filk as a keyword. So obviously the first thing to do is to just listen to it. If you like it, then try to find a community online that has it. There's a Filker community in Facebook that you can find somebody and ask to join. That's a closed community. But if you mention Filk, someone will probably find you on your, your Facebook. There are Let's see, I'm trying to think of some of the other online resources that you could use to to be able to connect with people. Uh, Lots of uh, cities will have regular house felts, which essentially is a bunch of people getting together at someone's home to sing when there's no convention going on. I know that takes place in Atlanta, Georgia. We have that around Indianapolis, Indiana. It takes place in L.A. It's the L.A. Filkers Anonymous community. 
there's a Boston community, uh, takes place, I think, Rob, there's one in Seattle, too, isn't there, that's like every few months? No, there's really not at the moment. Something that Marissa and I have been talking about trying to figure out how to jumpstart. Uh, you'll occasionally have house concerts here and there, but there's not a current ongoing concern other than I think conflict has been taking the energy for that. So. Yeah, I know Larry Kirby runs a, a house filk uh, every once in a while down in South Carolina. I'd like to get down there to that at some point. And that sure. was, you can go to the websites for each of the conventions. Uh, and you can find all of those websites on the innerfilk.org website, I-N-T-E-R-S-I-L-K, and they've got a convention listing for all the specifically silk conventions. And you can just hit their links and go find the conventions as close as you do. They're all listed out by area. There's one other place, this is Carla. If you like Blast FM, and it's Blast.FM, Silk is definitely a keyword there, and you can create your own Silk radio station, I think, there. That, that's a really good place, because I noticed there are a lot of Silk artists on Last.fm. There's a big Silk radio station on there that plays Silk 24 hours a day, so yeah, you can get it off Last. Well, do any of you have any advice that you would give for people who may be a little bit shy about singing or playing uh, in front of a group? I do. Oh, this is Brenda. Don't be shy. <laughs> it's, it's, there's really no no reason to be shy. We don't bite. In fact, we're well, the most people we know. There, there was a fellow, Gary Anderson. He's, he's long gone now onto another, onto another plane. But Gary, when he first started getting involved in Silk, had three notes. And they were all in the very lower bass registers, and he could only sing those three notes. He was the most tone-deaf person I have ever known in my entire life. But I would sit and listen to Gary for hours because he sang great songs. It, it, there's no reason to be shy. Not really. You're going to find people who are going to love what you do. And, and this is Rob. Let me throw something else onto that pile, which is you don't have to. We will not twist your arm behind your back and frog march you up onto a stage to a microphone and say, sing, damn you, sing. <laughs> you, are, you are allowed to hang out and let the music wash over you and just listen to it. And uh, you don't have to play. You don't have to sing. You can just there, listen. There are conventions out there that have listener guests of honor. Now, how much more welcoming is that? We're going to honor a person who has sat in the audience. Well... You all emphasized from the very beginning the community aspect of Filk and how you guys were welcomed into it and have paid that forward, as it were, by continuing to welcome new people in. And I think it's great. We, we also promote them. We've got an organization, the one that I mentioned before, Interfilk. Its entire purpose is to take someone from one part of the country and send them to the other side of the country where they would never have had a chance to be heard so that they can bring their music there and hear the music there and take it home. That's, that's how welcoming it is. We want, we want it to get spread around as much as possible. So we pay for their plane tickets and their hotel rooms and the convention pays for their membership, and we bring an interfolk guest to all the interfolk conventions. There's some conventions that have what they call folk waste. There are the beginners, newbies that are coming in, and they say, you deserve to be a full place. Anybody else have any uh, words of wisdom for our listeners about getting started and, and overcoming their any reluctance they might have? This is Carla, and I should say, pop yourself down in a circle and sit there until you can't stand not singing anymore. Just <laughs> think. Sing along with other people. That's a good way in because everybody's singing. Well, this sounds like a good spot to play another song. And we have a song that Brenda wrote that I understand is not necessarily science fiction and fantasy related, but fits that broader definition of whatever is done in the filk circle is filk. And it's called This Turn of the Wheel. 
Brenda, would you uh, give us a little more information about this tune? Well, this this is a song that was written about something that happens at conventions an awful lot. You you meet the person you fall in love with, and I met my husband at a silk convention. We didn't know that we were both going to this convention, even though we've been talking to each other online for months and months and months, and. You you see someone and you might think you're never going to see them again, but they're going to show up at a, another convention. Well, we met and fell in love, and ultimately married <laughs> around the silk community. So it, things are, are rolling around love-wise, and this was a love song that I wrote for him. Well, let's take a listen to it. turn of the wheel I found myself with you this pause in our lives so we came together time seems to have slipped seems to our years missinked a few but we ran back the wheel now we'll run on forever when did we first turn and touch this life or the What future, what past Till then how to fill the hours Without warm thoughts of you Holding tightly or letting go Which kindest to do Next turn of the wheel I know that you'll be there That time will be ours to share together Till we find that place, I'll hold my bits of you Lock them in my mind and guard the precious treasure You taught me to give myself wholly without fear You gave me your pleasure touch each time we were near You showed me your smiling face, you showed me your pain You came to me openly Please, love, come again. This turn of the wheel, I found myself with you. Well, that was uh, This Turn of the Wheel by Brenda Sutton, and I understand that that is also going to be on uh, the next album that you all put together. Is that right? It is, and it's a, a kind of a strange way that things happen with that one. That one was recorded years and years ago, and then we changed, went from tapes to CDs, and now we're moving into whole other areas. So we remastered that original tape, and then gone in and added new tracks to it and upgraded it, and I was able to add extra harmonies to it. And <laughs> it just kind of evolved over the generations, so I was really glad to take another stab at it. Well, to wrap up our discussion, I mentioned when I did the long introductions on Part 1 that all of you have been nominated for Pegasus Awards, and, and several of you have won Pegasus Awards, and... As we're recording this, the brainstorming phase of the Pegasus Award process is going on, and I wondered if I could get any of you to tell our listeners a little bit more about what these awards are. Okay, sure. This is Rob. The Pegasus Awards are given annually for excellence in the film community. It's a community award. It doesn't try to you know, necessarily wrap its arms around every single, you know, again, we talked about uh, how there's a lot of stuff that sounds like it might be filth but didn't come from the filth community. This is about the stuff that's inside the pro community. So we're, you know, honoring our own people. Uh, there's usually every year four static categories, which are best song, best classic song. Best classic song is a song that's at least 10 years old. And then uh, best performer, best writer, composer. Those four every year are given out. And then there's usually two categories that float. And 
one year it might be best science fiction song and best fantasy song. And one year it might be best travel song and best parody. And there's just sort of every year there's a different theme. Best rock and roll and best country. Whatever. This year it's best time-related song and best adapted song. The whole idea behind the, the floating categories is, you know, let's take something that people tend to write songs about and focus just on that little narrow topic and see if we can, you know, bring some songs out that, you know, maybe wouldn't normally be considered in the broad context of best song. The Pegasus Awards are not time-locked the way that a lot of awards are. So it's, you know, for best folk song, it doesn't have to be a song that came out in the last... 12 months, the way that, say, the Hugo Awards or the Grammys would be. Basically, any song that you can think of that you think, this ought to have won a Pegasus, the only uh, Pegasus Award, you can nominate it. If enough people nominate it, it'll go on the ballot. The only rules are that you can't have ever won a Pegasus Award before. So anytime you win an award for a song, that song is forever. It's like it's got its Pegasus, it's done. And if a song is on the ballot for two years in a row, then it's ineligible in the third year, and then it can come back. So they try to keep, you know, just from the same things always being on the ballot year after year after year. But other than that, pretty much, you know, any song that you can think of that you think, wow, that's a great song, you can nominate it. Anybody who's in the community is welcome to nominate. And they're given out every year in October at the Ohio Valley Folk Festival in Columbus, Ohio. And that's a really good time. If someone's interested in hearing what's being nominated for Pegasus, they always put uh, versions of them up on the OVSF website so you can hear all the songs that are being nominated. It's a really great overview of silk and silk history because they yeah. just those clips yeah, they'll, they'll usually do at least like a minute sample of each nominated work yep. uh, on the OVSF website once the nominating ballot has been released. Well, I appreciate that, and I appreciate all of you taking the time to be on the podcast. And what I think would be great is if we could make Filk a recurring topic on the Bain Free Radio Hour, uh, get some more performers involved, maybe have some topical discussions. And so I would love it if you guys would help spread the word within the Filk community. And for our listeners, I would love it if you guys would send in some questions or suggestions for things that you would like to hear about Filk, or if you have a favorite song that you would like us to play or to get that performer on the podcast, we would love to hear from you. And you can send an email to info at bain.com and put podcast suggestions in the subject line, and we look forward to hearing from you. But once again... Jeff and Brenda and Bill and Carla and Rob, I just thank you very, very much for taking the time and giving us all you got. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Ray. It was a pleasure. This was a lot of fun. And, you know, um, I'd be happy to come back anytime you uh, want to shoot the breeze about this. All right. Well, thanks again, y'all. Thanks, Ray. Yep. Out here. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And now here is another entry in the complete audiobook serialization of Larry Correa's Hard Magic as read by Bronson Pinchot. This portion of Hard Magic is provided by Audible.com. Get the complete audiobook at Audible.com now. If you're not a subscriber, you can get the entire audiobook free or choose from more than 100,000 other titles when you try Audible free for 30 days. Here's the setup for what's coming up. It's the 1930s in America. But it's an America that has been magically changed. In the 1860s, a handful of people from all walks of life were visited with special magical talents. In each generation, more are so affected. These people are called actives. Most actives use their powers for good, but some don't. Jake Sullivan is a private eye. He's also a former soldier, an ex-con, and an active heavy. The type of active that controls the force of gravity. Jake is good at it. Jake has been recruited by a mysterious secret organization of actives, the Grim Noir, who are dedicated to seeing humanity through a possible magic-based apocalypse, an apocalypse that seems to be 
accelerating toward a terrible finale. Here is Bronson Pinchot with this portion of the complete audiobook serialization of Larry Correa's Hard Magic. Faye landed right in front of the chairman. Bits of shrapnel were flying around like crazy insects, and the room was a really scary blue. The man she'd vowed to kill was there, brushing bullet fragments out of his hair. Francis was hitting him with all sorts of high-speed projectiles, but the chairman didn't seem to notice. He held up one hand, and every item in the room froze, then fell to the floor with a clatter. Now you, you are strong, the chairman said, yet so unpredictable, too unpredictable, and therefore you must die. His hands glowed like molten lava, and he reached for her, and somehow she knew that whatever spell he was using was going to rip the power right out of her and pull her memories out of her head and yank her soul out of her body all so he could learn from it and then throw away the husk. But he was right about one thing. She was unpredictable. Faye grabbed the chairman's glowing hands and felt a terrible surge of blood magic tear through her, but she only needed them for a second. Mr. Rawls had said that travelers couldn't get close to the chairman unless he let them. She'd never done anything like this before, but she couldn't come up with any reason why it wouldn't work. Probably. She held on for dear life as terrible forces racked her body and traveled. She didn't go very far, just a little wrinkle in space. So she landed a mere five feet away, hopping on one foot, her injured leg bent. It worked. The chairman was looking at her funny, not used to being surprised. She hadn't moved him, and he couldn't figure out what she'd just done, but then Faye held up the two cleanly severed hands. His eyes flickered down to the stumps his arms ended in, and realization dawned. Well, shoot, that worked real good, Faye squealed. The chairman was flabbergasted, offended, and then the pain hit. From the look on his face, Faye figured that it had probably been a real long time since he'd experienced that. Blood came squirting out both stumps. The chairman opened his mouth and let out the most terrible yell she'd ever heard. Give me my hands, he screamed, and she felt the voice inside her head, like Mr. Garrett could do, only ten thousand times bigger, but unfocused because she figured that she'd just messed up his concentration real good. Jane had once told her that she could mend darn near any injury, but she couldn't make limbs grow back. Only some lizards could do that, but she could reattach parts that had been cut off, provided she got them fast enough, and that gave Faye an idea. So she traveled to some place that she'd been to very recently, the rear end of the Tokugawa looked different because of all the bright blue light this time, but the big engine was still humming merrily along, and the big, terrible, scary propellers were flying so fast that they were just a black blur, and it was really super loud. This should really make him mad, she thought, as she tossed the chairman's still-convulsing hands right into the propeller. They exploded into a red mist. She reappeared right off to the chairman's side and grabbed Jane. What have you done? He shrieked. Threw him in the propellers, she answered as she fled, and the chairman blasted half the bottom of the airship into pieces where she'd been standing. Jane screamed as they appeared on the Tempest's ramp. She was jumpy like that. Faye was glad to see that they'd done like she'd told them and taken off. Mr. Garrett cried out and swept Jane up in his arms and held her tight. Faye traveled back, knowing that the chairman could travel too, but for whatever reason... Her head map seemed to still be working while his was all jumbled up from being next to the big, evil, magic super bomb. It was probably because all she could do was travel where he could do about anything. It made sense that she'd learned to pay more attention since she only had one tiny power and he had so very many. Like, who would be the better musician? The guy who tried to play a whole orchestra or the girl who could only afford a banjo? It might not be pretty, but she could really play the hell out of that banjo. She had to go fast. He didn't need hands to kill people. He could do it with his eyeballs or his brain or whatever else, and he was impossible to kill except for one thing. 
Mr. Rawls had said that a direct hit from a Tesla weapon might do the trick, so she just needed to keep him distracted. She grabbed Francis next, since bunches of iron guards were trying to kill him. She was traveling so fast now that she reached him before the bullets did. There was no time for formality, so she dumped Francis in the center of the tempest and hurried back for Mr. Sullivan. He was the toughest, so he got to go last. She had to hand it to Mr. Sullivan. He was stubborn. The fraction of a second view her head map gave her when she hit showed three iron guards airborne, another one going out the window, and Sullivan was killing another with the big rifle extended in one hand while giving an icebox a knuckle sandwich with his other hand. He'd made it to the geotel and with a roar threw off the iron guard still clinging to him, raised his rifle to smash it, and she grabbed him by the back of the shirt and got them out of there as lightning from the chairman's eyes consumed the geotel and the closest iron guards. Mr. Sullivan brought down the big rifle and smashed the Tempest's already damaged radio board in half. He was still roaring, but it tapered off as he realized that he wasn't where he thought he was. They were in the cockpit of the UBF dirigible, and the Tokugawa's back deck was visible below them through the broken window. A blue pillar had come up out of the ocean and was shooting into the sky right through the Imperium flagship. The device, he turned to Faye. You debts, you moron, I almost had it. Good thing I stopped you then, Faye said simply. He grabbed her by the shoulders and shook her hard. Take me back, he ordered. His face was covered in splattered blood and he had the most desperate eyes she'd ever seen. Too late, she said. The chairman just blew it up, but he was too late. It's already clamped on. The power is coming no matter what, and if you don't let me go, it'll get us too. He didn't get it. Sometimes she wished she was good with the fancy talk. Take me back now. There was a lot of danger in his voice. Mr. Sullivan could be scary when he was angry. Listen, Mr. Sullivan, I already cut the chairman's arms off, so if you want to keep yours, I'd suggest you take them off me right quick. Sullivan let go. That's better. He was looking around, realizing that she must have traveled all these folks here. Delilah? It was a sin to lie, but maybe it was worse to make this man hate himself even more than he already did. Delilah was dead when I found her. Sorry. She turned away so she wouldn't have to see his reaction because she didn't have time to feel sad. Lance was behind the driver's controls. Better go fast, Lance. It's on its way. We're going as fast as we can, he shouted. The tempest rocked as Imperium biplanes flew past, shooting them. She hopped over to the broken window and looked out. The power was coming up out of the Pacific, aimed straight at the strange carvings she'd found hidden in the Tokugawa instead of America, or wherever the chairman had thought he'd be shooting it at. The other Japanese battleship was coming around, burning its hydrogen to power the peace ray on its front end, and it was aimed right at them. She wasn't sure which Tesla thing he was going to kill them first, but they sure as hell weren't going to make it on this slow thing. Traveling sure does spoil you. Sullivan had joined her at the window. The blue light reflected on his face, and the wind was blowing his tattered clothing. The geotel is locked onto the Tokugawa. About time somebody got it. We'll die too, he said. We're too close. He didn't sound too broken up about that, but she figured that Mr. Sullivan had lived with death so long that he wasn't rightly ever scared of it. Well, at least we're taking the chairman with us. Faye looked around at all the people on the bridge. They were her friends. She kept losing families, and then making new ones, and then losing those too. She was sick and tired of that. She was just starting to have fun. Mr. Garrett was holding Jane and telling her that everything was going to be okay. Lance, who'd taught her so much and been as patient as Grandpa, was concentrating on not getting shot down. Heinrich was there, and he turned out to not be near as mean as she'd figured, and Francis... She'd never kissed a boy before, so she figured that Francis was her beau now. So it didn't seem fair that they'd get exploded before they'd ever gone on a date. 
There was a roar of unbelievable thunder as the sky turned to fire rolling over the Tokugawa, searing the giant vessel into a black shadow of ash and scattering its molecules on the winds. Her head map was all frazzled. The magic was heading their way. The ocean had boiled away in a big circle and energy was crackling up the beam. The wave would hit in just over half a second and she knew that the explosion would be really huge and they'd die, skeletons visible through their bodies before being consumed. This was way bigger than the peace ray and everything for hundreds of miles would just be gone. A tenth of a second later, she'd taken inventory of the entire tempest. She'd traveled with two people a bunch of times now. She'd figured out how to do that. It just took more power. She'd gone further than her head map could see, and that had just taken more power and enough luck not to get something fused into her body. So how hard could it be to fling an entire blimp and thousands of pounds of people several hundred miles away? Another tenth of a second passed while she measured her power. Just like always, it was all still there. It never seemed to get smaller, just bigger and bigger, unlike everybody else. It must like her best. They were in the air, so it was pretty unlikely that she'd get foreign objects stuck into anyone, but even if she did, it beat getting exploded. She wasn't sure if she could use it all up at one time because she didn't want to go too far and end up putting them on the moon or something. Better safe than sorry. So she decided to use it all, even though she understood that using that much magic very well might destroy her. Ahead of the expanding ball of fire... The concussion bent the air and touched the very tip of the tempest. For the first time in her life, Sally Faye Vieira gathered up every single last bit of magic she had and traveled one last time. That was another segment in our complete audiobook serialization of Hard Magic by Larry Correa. It was read by Bronson Pinchot. And that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Audible.com. Enormous thanks to Bain Consulting editor Gray Reinhardt and to podcast theme composer Ruth Judkowitz. And a twangy, bangy, song that sangy, giving our thanks for filky pleasures to our gang of tuneful treasures, Jeff Bonhoff, Bill and Brenda Sutton, Carla Ulbrich, and Rob Wynn. Please join us next time here at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy. And keep reaching for the stars. Stars.